I wonder, are there any sixes who'd be willing to come up? Keep me company up here. Only one? The rest are cowards. They're chicken. I dare them. I double dare them. So let me talk about the stress and security points, the connections. Six has a connection to the high and low side of nine. And on the high side, the connection brings a refutation of the basic vision of the world a six can have when they're in the trance of their style. You recall last night we were talking about five, sixes, and sevens projecting power and having a tendency to take some of their power out of their own belly, you might say, and paint it across the world like a patina and to see it in the faces of other people, see it in the faces of authority figures or the government or the United Nations or whatever you project onto. Some sixes existentialize their fears, like Woody Allen, for instance, seeing the universe as a dark cosmic place where there are hostile forces that can come out at you out of nowhere. You know, some of what he does is sort of Russian Jewish in a way, but also, there are a lot of sixes who do this. They'll just see their fears in an existential sort of way, almost a symbolic sort of way. And when they're doing that, they're seeing the world as a place where they're not at the top of the food chain. There's the possibility of larger, darker forces that can swoop down and randomly pick them up in their claws and carry them away to their cave and peck them to death. So in that vision of the universe, which is based on projection, and which is based on memory, and which is based on family history, carried forward in time and reproduced in the present, there can be a tendency to distrust and a tendency to be suspicious, and your trance strategy within that is to kind of look for things that can go wrong, anticipate the worst, and then uh, prepare for it mentally. And while you're doing this, you're dissociated from your own power. When the high side of six is sixes start to integrate their power and they take their power back and they have an original point of view. And they also have, well, a courage, a courage that emerges from having struggled with fear. In other words, if your tendency is to scare yourself, one of the things then as you grow and change that you are more likely to have the opportunity to do is to learn about the value of courage and taking appropriate risks and pushing yourself beyond your limit. It's almost like whatever the fix of your Enneagram trance, it leads to certain logical resources. If you're an eight and your emphasis has been on being strong all your life, almost to a fault, then what you get to learn is about peacemaking. And it's no surprise to me that people who are old warriors who have been you know, warlike in their behavior all their lives wind up being the ones who initiate peacemaking. But the tendency to want to make peace and, and to learn, for instance, the strength of gentleness or the strength of being undefended is something that, that eights find their way to and it's a result of having been over-armored in this way. Well, same with sixes. Fear leads to learning about courage. It's, I was doing this workshop and we were talking about sixes and it was a subtypes workshop and there was a whole bank of sixes and I was rattling on about the subtypes and somebody raised their hand in the audience and said that they had noticed that everybody as they had talked, they were all out of their own way. A lot of them talked about having a sense of mission or being dedicated to a cause, or if they didn't talk about it in a grandiose way, they sort of embodied it. That there was a quality of, I've picked my battles, I stand my ground, I've decided on a course of action that's important to me and I organize my life around it, and I'm out of my own way. There wasn't a lot of ego in anybody, a lot of evident, you know, braggadocio. And I thought, yeah, that was sort of related to the high side of it. But on the low side, it devolves into a trance where you're anticipating the worst and doubting people's motives and distrusting yourself 
first and foremost. And then you maybe play it out in relationships. And then the connection to the high side of nine brings something that is healing to that, which is a more trusting experience and vision of the universe. Nines at their best tend to see the world as a fundamentally friendly place. There's something about existence that's fundamentally benign and most nines feel like they are part of the big flow. There's not a lot of self-importance within that style and there is a sense of being part of life, being part of everything else, being the psychologist C.G. Jung somewhere said something about uh, I feel like I'm in the trees and I'm in the water and I'm in the air and I'm diffuse, you know, I'm merged with everything else but in a, a spiritual way. You feel like you are at home somehow in the world. And sixes get this through the, the connection to the high side of nine. And it's almost a direct refutation of their premises when they're in the trance of their style, almost completely opposite. And it's connected to what they talk about in Enneagram books where sixes develop faith. Faith is not a concept, at least in some way that is helpful to sixes. In fact, having debates about faith is perhaps worse than useless with a six because if it's approached in a mental way, the six can always out-argue any argument because their secret weapon is that what they most fear is possibility. And there's no way for anyone to refute possibility. Another terrorist attack could happen. And no one can say, well, no, no, it won't. I guarantee it, absolutely. And so you're sunk if you get into one, one of these kinds of conversations. But also, faith is in the way that where it's the most effective with sixes is usually felt in the body and felt in the emotions, it's in the feelings, it's not in the visual and auditory system. It's not in words, it's not in images, so much as it is in feeling. That's the kind of faith that I tend to trust when I work with other people and I trust it within myself. So kinesthetic and the connection to nine makes it more kinesthetic, but you can feel like you're part of the larger rhythm of nature and in contrast to this other belief that you know, life is nasty, brutish, and short. The connection also helps sixes develop what they call an internal reference, where you think for yourself more instead of deferring to the outside authorities and what would tradition think and this caution where you're checking out your own perceptions, your own likes and dislikes, your own opinions with possible outside forces that might object to what you say and then attack you which is a, a replay of a childhood scenario, basically, but you believe it's here in the present. You know, healthy nine-ish sixes search for their own true feelings. Sometimes there's a spirituality that comes into it, but also uh, seeing through of your own projections and being able to humanly understand other people instead of, say, vilifying them. The, I must say the Enneagram helped me with this a lot, and I think it helps other sixes as well. But w one of the things that helped me was sort of to divine how everybody was right from their own point of view. And that most behavior that I had taken personally by dint of my background, which was kind of severe, really wasn't personal at all. You know, even back in the background, it was just a case of mistaken identity. People were railing on them within their own immaturities and within their own caricatures of other people in the family system. And I was actually not correctly perceived at all. Whereas I thought at the time they were talking about me and I took it personally and it hurt. And the Enneagram really helped with that to understand the difference in worldviews. It's like a projection wrecker. You understand the difference in worldviews so well and the intent behind each of the worldviews 
and how fundamentally a lot of the intents are the same. You know, the basic human needs to take care of yourself, protect yourself, feel like you're in control, and, you know, express your will towards health in some way or another. I think the connection in nine also sort of brings that. There can also be a deeper sense of continuity, not only with the world around you and feeling connected to the world around you, but also in relation to the past. A lot of sixes have long memories. Uh, they're more like Europeans than they are like Americans in this way. Although, that said, my own memory is getting worse and I'm actually really happy about it. And a part of it is from having changed a lot because I'm pretty different than I was. And I can remember things that happened, but I don't remember who I was that it happened to, basically. But what I notice in a lot of sixes is a sense of tradition or a sense of continuity through time. One friend of mine who's a six is a Grecophile, for instance. And that's pretty rare in America. He's not in academia, but he just loves ancient Greece, knows all about it, and has a sense of time that goes back that far. Whereas most Americans, to us, decades are what to Europeans are centuries. That kind of timeline, that kind of memory, it's longer, generally speaking. But paradoxically, with the connection of nine, sixes are more likely to live in the present. Most nines are pretty present-oriented. In fact, most eights, nines, and ones are pretty aware of the present because they live in their bodies, and their bodies are in the present physical world. And they connect through the world first and foremost through their bodies. So a lot of lengthy memory and nostalgia and stuff like that is not, not a natural tendency for them, I would say. And I think the connection from six to nine helps that way as well, helps sixes. And then you could also respond, for instance, more strongly to nature and uh, to a sense of place, be kind of attached to land. Sixes will do that when they're connected in a niney way. When sixes are more in the trance of their style, the connection to nine devolves and there is a, a numbness that can take the person over or a spaced out quality that they can have. Or they can be lazy and procrastinating, putting things off in a calm way, saying it doesn't matter, you know, it doesn't matter if I pay the bills, I'll just wait. And sort of a blasé quality, but also a kind of denial, you know, sort of like, oh, well, it's not necessary to deal with this. You're anxious about dealing with it, but you numb your anxiety through postponement. An escape chute from anxiety. They go lackadaisical and absent-minded. It's kind of an inner Prozac. At the same time, it loops into the low side of three, as we'll see, because a lot of times you put things off for quite a while, and then you realize you put them off too long, and then you go into hyper-mobilized, type A, panicked behavior in order to compensate for and catch up for everything that you've neglected. And you can go in circles. Nines do this to avoid focused action. They get off the track of their life and they lose their priorities because they're trying to avoid being focused and saying what they want because their main defense is to hide what they want and the self who wants things. But sixes, it's more like they do it as a way to manage anxiety, sort of like putting up a comforting padded haze to shield yourself against danger. You can also get habit-bound and rut-prone, like unhealthy nines will, where you do the same things over and over again. Nines will do it because they take great comfort in the rut. A lot of nines, especially what they call self-preservation nines, will take comfort in small, minimal routines on a daily basis. It's almost like a life of small horizons is what they choose. And so they focus on the immediate, and they're great appreciators and receivers of the immediate. If they got a good basket of strawberries down at the organic market, they really enjoy those strawberries. But it's not like you're writing a novel or something, you know, and 
you're not reaching for a lot. And you tend to think of the world in terms of small horizons. Sixes do this for a different reason. Part of it is that if they've gone out into the world and they've tested and they've gone to that organic market and they've gotten good strawberries repeatedly, they want to repeat the experience because new experiences are risky and leave them open to doubt and disappointment and possibly danger depending on their fantasy system. So if you know there's a sure thing out there, then something in you wants to gravitate towards it and then you, you can get into ruts that way. I always go to the same place, always order the same thing. Six has a connection to the high and low side of three. And on the high side of it, it brings self-confidence, productivity. Sixes often be very skilled at what they do and maybe not know it, maybe have a self-image that is inconsistent with their true level of skill and ability, the degree to which they've developed themselves and are able to do things. But nevertheless, they have the skill and they're more willing to take action usually, more willing to follow through and complete things and to do things in a relatively organized and stepwise manner or an effective manner and an interest in being effective without a lot of complications, without a lot of doubts, without a lot of outside interference. There can be a decisiveness, a leadership capacities that can emerge. There can also be an emphasis on excellence, a desire to do things well. If not to the letter, do things of high quality, whatever you produce or the work that you do in your job, you follow through with it. Maybe you finish it punctually right on time, maybe you're a little bit late, but when you finish it, it's really good. There can be also good organizational and administrative skills that I would associate with this connection. The ability to organize a, a social context or a project or an enterprise, or to exist within an organization, keep a tidy house. When the Six's connection to three is less healthy. They can slip into a three-like falseness and start to wear a mask and start to be image conscious or to have a draw towards image and yet be ambivalent about it, a kind of back and forth about this. I know of no better example of this than Robert Redford. This is somebody who made a lot of money being a glamour puss started the Sundance Institute out in Utah. That's really something. It's really uh, quite in a unique place and quite, a, uh, quite an interesting place. Redford's a six, but with a strong connection to three. And if you look at his work, what he directs and what he acts in, it's all about fraudulence. Every single film is, is this running theme about being fake or the difference between appearance and reality and the difference between a, being a glamour puss and being a flawed human being behind it. Everything he directs, everything he selects, it's all about fraudulence. The other thing about him is that he's always denying that he's vain. And then he goes and he stars in these movies. I was flipped on the TV last night and there was this thing with Michelle Pfeiffer, up close and personal. It was like a two hour long perfume commercial. Somebody asked a producer what this movie was about and he said movie stars, clothes and hairstyles. <laughs> that, was, that was the the message of the movie and boy it sure was a few months ago redford came out and made this big speech about growing old gracefully and never getting plastic surgery and just accepting your looks and accepting aging as part of life and then i saw him interviewed about a week ago and he had plastic surgery <laughs> but it's almost like a self-delusion about this, you know, almost like playing both sides of it. You play the image, but then also you are secretly more vain than you admit to yourself. I think that's a guy who's tried to live a life of substance when he could just be a lazy movie star with lots of facelifts. I mean, he's done something else, but at the same time, the pull and the draw is still there.
And so there can be this playing with the image, playing with vanity and awareness of your looks and awareness of your role. It could make for good acting skills. And yet it's a trap. And you start to wear a mask. Some sixes will locate themselves within hierarchies or companies and they'll become like a company man or a company woman, something like that. Then they'll assume the image and the persona of the company and they'll be a representative and they'll play a role within that and then get lost in the role. Often they're attempting to hide their own sense of deviance. It's not exactly like a flaw, like within four, where you have an inner image of yourself as being in a wheelchair or Cyrano de Bergerac with a big nose. But with sixes, it's more like you're trying to avoid the power of your own opinions because you fear that they may be deviant and not well accepted by the authorities outside, whomever you've projected onto, which are really, in fact, your parents. In your, they're like imaginary parents. And so you try not to stand out or stick out, and so you wear a mask that's socially acceptable that, that allows you to charm your way and glide your way through circumstances, and you seem like you are one of the crowd. You don't make trouble, or you, you, you might want to make trouble at, from time to time, but basically what you're doing is allowing for the fact that, uh, giving yourself the option. You could, you could avoid trouble as well with this. And then there's also a thing that I relate to in this, about what I call jerk ambition. The connection to three can bring a kind of driving ambition sometimes. And the ambition can be without legs, almost. It's like you're trying to prove something. It's actually not unrelated to image, not unrelated to wanting to seem or be like somebody who is more accomplished than you really feel like you are. Because maybe underneath you feel like a failure or a born loser or something like that. And so, Part of what you're then trying to do is sort of reach for the stars, but then if you reach for the stars, you might bring yourself down. You might bring yourself back to earth, or you might actually get what you want, but not handle it well. In other words, you get power, but you mishandle it. You become the authority figure that you most feared being dominated by or abused by. Because some sixes, when they get a hold of power, if they're not integrated or redeemed, as Richard Rohr would say, they'll misuse power much worse than their fantasies about the authority figures who would uh, victimize them. Also, you're no longer connected to your sense of mission. It's a faux mission. It's a kind of uh, pseudo-mission. A lot of Enneagram books say that sixes are afraid of success. And I don't find this to be true. I find that sixes are afraid of having someone else's version of success. There's a distinct tendency within this style to carry your parents around for a long time and to have an argument with or be subservient to their criteria and you keep them close so you're never alone and they're in your awareness but then you have a you have a, a fight with them as you individuate from them or you don't individuate and in the unhealthy expression of this connection to three in my case I come from a long line of Irish businessmen plumbing and electrical supplies, telephone companies. And my father was a, a paper salesman. I have no explanation for myself, but I had no intrinsic ability along any of these lines. But I had a lot of conditioning and a lot of force and a lot of demand, and you know, he wanted me to be like him, and so there was this big conflict between his criteria and my criteria. And it took me a while to sort that out and to define for myself what would be success. But before I did that, what I was trying to do was serve two masters. I was trying to do what I did and felt most compelled to do and what was most meaningful for me. But I was trying to nod to his criteria at the same time, trying to succeed in his terms. And I was caught up in this jerk ambition, sort of like, oh, yeah, I'm going to do these things, you know, but it was mixed in motive and destined to fail. 
And so that's what I find with sixes is when there's a fear of success, it's not, it's not a fear of success per se, it's a fear of having somebody else's success. Because when you try to do that, you make yourself anxious because you're in fact off the track of your own life and out of touch with your own criteria. And there could also be a feeling within this of pushing a rock up a hill like Sisyphus and then it rolling down the other side and then you go and you do it again. And unfortunately, with this style, its principal strength is stamina. So you can keep pushing the rock up and down the hill for quite some time because you don't get exhausted the way other people do. You don't get as tired of it because you habituate yourself to that kind of effort. It'd be a little better, really, if it was more tiring because, you know, you'd question what the hell you were doing sooner. So, but let me open it up. Can you say anything about anything you relate to or don't relate to in this? Yeah, and the, the Enneagram's been really helpful for me, and it took me a while to figure out what my type was. Um, in fact, I was typed by a um, therapist as a seven initially. I think I have a strong seven wing and tend to be that glasses half full person. But fundamentally, it's a six. The nine, I understand now better how much nine helps me. Uh, I went to business school, it was real stressful, and I survived in part by being in a beautiful environment and running in the hills, you know, and that was my release and my relaxation. Um, I still love to go to the gym. Uh, I live in a beautiful kind of mountain retreat and it feels right for me. Um, so uh, my mom is a nine, and boy, we had a lot of conflict for a long time. But Enneagram has also helped me appreciate some of her strengths. Um, on the low side of nine, I have picked up some of her bad habits. One of my favorite things to do to relax is to kind of get out the newspaper, read the newspaper, and munch on something at the same time. You know, there's kind of a, a zone out sort of thing. And when I thought I was a seven, I thought, yeah, man, I've loved to read all my life. Uh, must be that five thing, you know, going deep. But the truth of the matter is, when I'm reading the paper, I'm not going deep. I'm kind of grazing, you know, there's kind of this just relax, you know, read the first couple of paragraphs, uh, read the social stuff. So, you know, there's both the high and the low side of nine. Three, very definitely, I can, you know, I've been in the corporate world. I have run a market research business for the past 12 years, about as long as I've had children. You know, so I'm a consultant. I have to sell myself. There's a certain amount of discomfort around that. Um, you know, I'm the one you should hire because I'm smart. Yeah, no. Um, so I like being a market research consultant because I say I'm the one you should hire because I know all the techniques and I do it really well. You know, so I'm sort of selling. Um, but the, the high side of three, professionalism, organization, get things done. I can be pretty type A. You know, I can really get power through a lot of stuff. Um, on the other hand, low side of three, spinning my wheels can be kind of a distraction or, a, um, you know, sometimes I'll, I really need to tackle some difficult part of a project my office is um, next to my house. And instead of tackling the difficult part of the project, I'll go fold the laundry and then I'll pay my bills and then I'll, you know, there's that kind of three frenzy that's not necessarily productive. Right, right, yeah. 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 And let me mention the wings then, because I think we have a kind of good contrast here too. 
Six with a five wing, generally more introverted and somewhat intellectual. Healthy sixes with a five wing will often have a lot of interests and have surprising skills and capabilities, a range of skills and capabilities. They may not even know they have, again, in a way that is somewhat inconsistent with the self-image. I have one friend who's a six with a five wing who's a skilled art designer and he's a painter and he knows a lot about computers and he has a whole range of quite striking competencies. And yet he's pretty modest and if he thinks about his competency he gets insecure because he thinks of an expression that he heard one time which was Photoshop expert. Now, the Photoshop is a software program that people use to adjust images and to create artwork within it. I've just actually gotten somewhat good at this this last winter using this particular program for various design projects I've been involved in. And I don't see how you could ever feel like you were genuinely accomplished at it because the thing is so complex, you can do so many things with it. And there are a lot of functions you stumble across in this thing that you didn't even know were there and you could be working with it for several years and discover them. So this guy is the expert at what he does, in my opinion, but when he thinks about his own skill level, he compares himself to other imaginary experts, and that's based on projection. In a way, that's his projection of his own skill and ability. People can be bookish. As I said yesterday, sixes are pretty good at prediction, at troubleshooting where you see a present situation and then project forward into the future, and then you can make predictions based on that. But sixes with a five wing, they might be a little better at it, more intuitive actually sometimes. Sixes with five wings are almost always more auditory and kinesthetic, which is what I would say about my own principal sensory strategies. Sixes with a seven wing are almost always more visual and have a faster tempo, uh, you know, talk faster in that way and see images in the mind's eye and more aware of color and things like that. With a five wing, there can be a kind of tip of the iceberg quality. There can be a, a defensive willed remoteness that goes with it where you're not standoffish in any overt way, but you can keep people out of your force field if you want to. It's something I always remember when I come back to a city because I've been living in a small town for 12 years. And then I find myself when I'm walking down the street, I put on my big man armor and I just kind of look like I might be trouble. I always found that very effective for walking around in cities. I never got assaulted or anything. But it's kind of ridiculous if I forget to take it off. Some sixes with five wings can have poker faces and it's not real obvious what they're feeling. They can be hard to read. Uh, somebody said about one person behind those blue eyes, something are, is always clicking. And there can be the, just a lot of kind of internal flashing and activity and feeling and so on, but it's not well revealed sometimes. I was teaching in Croatia a while back and in this part of Croatia that's still recovering from the war in the Balkans. And there was a lot of violence in the air, but nothing really happened. People didn't assault each other, but you could feel this kind of agitation and this energy and almost like they weren't finished with it, but they had to stop, but they weren't done. And everywhere I went, I felt this thing. And when I was teaching workshops, a translator uh, kept saying, you seem so laid back and relaxed. At night, I couldn't sleep. I was feeling this. <laughs> It was my first time. I'll be, I'll be better next time. But there was just this feeling of intense pain after a while. But I didn't show it. And this is, this is not unusual. So on the low side, I guess that's heading towards the low side, that sort of standoffish quality. And then there can be um, sometimes a tension between wanting to be seen by other people but wanting to withdraw 
for protection. A kind of back and forth like that, more ambivalent than a five might have. There can also be uh, an arrogance sometimes, or you could act cryptic or cynical, aloof. And there's also a, a legalistic tendency that goes with this particular wing. It's almost like your interest in justice and social causes that you might have as a six combined with an intellectual capacity and so you become a lawyer and go fight, you know, go slay dragons. You could be interested in legalistic systems, things that have to do with justice. I, that bypassed me entirely, but I know a lot of sixes who have that. And they're in it partially for the justice and then also with the five wing, you know, it brings a certain intellectual capacity and so you can hold a lot of detail in your mind in the manner we were talking about last night with fives. You can see. And phobic sixes with this wing can be unusually diplomatic and subtle. It's actually sort of the realm of spies, six with a five wing and five with a six wing. And I used to read spy novels when I was a kid, and I, it, I, when I discovered the Enneagram, I later figured out what the attraction was. Because many of the heroes in those things were fives or sixes. That kind of realm of secrets and realm of suspicion, and nobody can trust anybody else, and so on. They're going to be a diplomatic way that they have of saying things without saying them. They can brood also. They can be thin-skinned. They can be touchy. Somebody says something to you and they insult you and you brood about it later. And this auditory and kinesthetic tendency that I was talking about, there can be a, you talk to yourself and get feelings. And, I wish I'd said that to that guy and, you know, next time I'm going to blah, 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 you know, why I ought to... A sneaky vengeance can come out of it, too, a subtle uh, keeping score. Richard Nixon was like this. One of the most striking things when they played all the tapes that he'd made in his office was he sat around all day scheming. It's hard to know what he did as president. You know, it was amazing he got anything done because he was sitting around having paranoid thoughts about his enemies and dialogues and monologues out loud making other people listen to him. The other thing they said about Richard Nixon, which connects to the uh, low side of three, was that he was a fabulous poker player. People who knew him during World War II said he always won tons of money playing poker. Why? Because no one could ever tell when he was bluffing because he always looked like he was lying. <laughs> and then with, six, with a seven wing, they're generally more outgoing, generally less introverted, although it's, it's possible they can be introverted, but generally less introverted, more extroverted, may appear more overtly nervous than a six with a five wings. If there's that containment with a six with a five wing, there's more energy in a way, but also more agitation. If you think of people like Mel Gibson and Julia Roberts, their screen personas are based on being sixes with a seven wing, which is what they are. Woody Allen, to some extent. The character he plays on screen is more like a six with a seven wing, but I think he's a six with a five wing in real life. And Meg Ryan is another one. There can be a lovability within it, but there's also a, a nervous beseechment sometimes. The other one is the actress Kim Basinger. Anybody ever see her interviewed? She's like a mass of phobias, just as a nervous wreck. And that's an overt representation of what I'm talking about. But sixes with seven wings generally can be a little more outgoing, seem a little more nervous, agitated, or busy in some way, or enthusiastic, or cheerful. And you can sort of see it in their body and the way they move. There's less of this containment that I was talking about. A charm that goes with it, good social skills sometimes. It can be a kind of ingratiating quality as well. Well, you feel like you're a people person a little more. You gravitate towards people, not necessarily extroversion, but because it's a natural thing to do. And then sometimes on the lower side of it, it's more like a defense. There can be a, a warmth and also a forward-looking sort of attitude and kind of a positive attitude. It's like my suspicion about you is that you have a happy gene. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. yeah. And th that runs much more with the seven wing than it does with the five wing, whatever that gene is. And also a forward-looking quality and then looking. Much more aware of color, much more aware of inner vision, seeing in your mind's eye, much, much more visual, generally speaking. They can also be self-effacing, disarming. Some of it goes with a certain subtype where you're trying to defang hostility in your environment. Julia Roberts plays to this, so does Meg Ryan. They're kind of lovable and a little ditzy and stuff, and so then you, you love them instead of attacking them, which is what they were afraid of, you know. And then when they're more in the trance of their style, they can be kind of self-contradicting, kind of incongruent, get into this sort of beseechment a little more where they're asking the world to love them, be sometimes hard to follow. One of their defenses is to be impossible, impossible to please. They're obviously unhappy, they're obviously agitated, and there's not a damn thing you can do about it, and you're probably to blame. There can also be uh, an irritability that goes with it. I think Don, Rizzo in his first book really nailed this just right. A kind of a, a petty finickiness and a kind of dissatisfaction. A good example would be that Andy Rooney who's on television <laughs> on 60 Minutes to come on and say, you know, why do buttons have four holes in them instead of three? It always bothered me that the buttons had four holes instead of three. So we went to the button factory in Brazil where buttons are made and I asked the guy, why do buttons have, you know, it's like, oh, you know, stop it, you know. <laughs> Going on in this finicky, petty way and then getting peevish, getting kind of and cranky. When I watch Julia Roberts, I don't really enjoy her because I actually find her persona kind of nasty. It's skittish, but it's also, it's got an anger in it that I'm much more aware of than the warmth and the charm. Now that is there for sure and she's got that, but there's an, an edge to her persona that people find lovable and popular that looks like hostility to me. But I associate it with this wing also. There's a pissed off quality and a willingness to blame when they're, when they're more in the trance of it. Not very many sixes are truly paranoid. When they're in the trance of their style, they operate out of a generalized attitude of bad faith. But it's not true paranoia. But when I have met sixes who were truly paranoid at that end of the spectrum, they were almost always sixes with seven wings. And they had a wild, vivid, visual imagination that whips on them back and forth with horrifying, vivid, large internal imagery that surrounded them panoramically, overwhelmed them in size, and overpowered them. I suppose you could be a true paranoidal and have a five wing, but the only times I've seen it where it was really obvious that somebody was just wigged out with paranoia, it was six with a seven wing. Imagination. I think so, and I think, and I think the imagination is much better with this wing, more visual imagination, and that's what you know sixes will scare themselves with is negative, visual, vivid possibilities, and the vi visual images are up close. So. Oh, sure, it's all meant to be real. It's like watching home movies and and reacting to them. This issue of trust, I I think that it pervades six in a way that. They often don't trust the world. It's the uh, scanning the environment for red flags, and they come from trusting themselves far more than the world. And it's so different than, say, the two who, at the very basic heart of two, they don't trust themselves. It's the, it's the opposite way of doing trust. When you say the world, though, you know, the world it's the world image 
the world view. Right. But it's like the, the thing Ralph Waldo Emerson said, people don't seem to realize that their opinion of the world is a confession of character. Can you chime in on this? Well, you've been saying a lot of stuff that I can relate to. Gossiping. We've been gossiping yeah. about ourselves. Yeah, it's fun. I, I do have some of the five wing. My dad's definitely a five. I have at various times been called aloof, and it used to surprise me. It doesn't surprise me as much anymore. But I think there is some kind of a, um, a willed remoteness. It's a, there's a defensive. It's a way of being defensive, you know. Um, Could you seem reserved at times to people? Sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I'm a social subtype, I think. Um, but it is the six kind of, I don't trust the world, so that's how I'm going to protect myself. Um, I'm very, um, I think of myself as being friendly and having good friends, but the truth of the matter is it takes me forever to trust people, you know. And then once I trust them, boy, we're friends for life. Yeah, you they're know, in, we, once they're in, yeah, they're in. Yeah. I'm very loyal, you know, yeah. I have that six quality. Um, let's see, in terms of the seven... Um, you know, I, I think of my seven wing as being more the glasses half full, kind of looking for fun, uh, sometimes not being very patient, not wanting to hang around forever, which is also a little bit of that um, protection stuff. I'm a counterphobic six, you know, I run focus groups and I do business stuff and I jump up, oh yeah, I get to, you know, do that, I better do it, oh, that's a little scary, but I'll do it anyway. Um, and I, um, so people that are real fearful used to drive me completely nuts. You know, it's the shadow. It ju I just, ah, I just hated that. Right, if somebody's sitting there, if you're counterphobic and somebody's sitting there t t teeth chattering with their eyes wide open, seeing invisible hallucinations that frighten them and saying, what do you think we should do? You, you, it could irritate you. I've had that experience too. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, are there any pitfalls to your experience of the seven wing? Uh, <laughs> sure. Um, Can't all be sweetness and light. No, it turns out um, my brother is also a seven. You know, and we've been real different all our lives. But the truth of the matter is, we're really quite sim similar. He's a seven, and I've got that seven wing. Um, and we both um, have. Uh, it takes us a hell of a long time to commit. You know, I mean, there's this. He's the ultimate, Mr. <coughs> keep your options open. And I've got a lot of that too. Um, my husband and I lived together for 10 years before we got married and that was fine with both of us. You know, my parents got divorced. I don't want that. You know, I'm gonna be real sure. So there's the, I think of seven sometimes, my sevenness as flitting around. You know, there's a little bit of that, you know, um, not sticking with things, not going as deep as uh, might be nice to mm -hmm. do sometimes. Mm -hmm. yeah. The uh, business about uh, hesitating about commitment, there can be a feeling in sixes that everything they say is a promise. Right. You're observing not the spirit of the law but the letter of the law and your words are a literal promise. Therefore if you say I do or let's move in together or let's get married or something like that it's or whatever you know just even a casual commitment you feel that you hold yourself to your own words, or you, you may rebel against them. There are some actually counterphobic sixes who are always late. 
you know, they'll promise to be there at a certain time, and then they're reliably 10 minutes late. But they still feel like they're supposed to be there right at the same time, and then they rebel against their own inner feeling. Yeah. I have, I have a tendency to be late, and I fight it because I hate it. Uh -huh. I hate being late, but uh -huh. yeah, I think there's that. Yeah, yeah. If, if the person wasn't late, they'd be exactly on time. I have six friends who are just utterly punctual, and I am too. I'm a, I, I know exactly when I said I was going to be there. I could rebel against that and feel like it's a constraint or somehow the situation has power over me. And so then I'm late, but I still know exactly when I was supposed to be there and when I had agreed to be there. And that was a promise. I would like uh, you to speak a little bit more about how to differentiate between being a seven with a six wing and or a six with a, with a seven wing. For me, it was the way I figured out I was a six is I got real interested in Enneagram. I love systems and understanding all this kind of stuff. And went to a class that had a different panel each week. And I'd been told I was a seven and that kind of fit. I wasn't sure. And I saw the six panel and it was like, whoa, <laughs> you know, woo. <laughs> and the things that really resonated for me were, um, you know, I think the stereotype of the six is very fear-based, very fearful. But it's not really that. It's more um, distrust. And maybe since I'm a social subtype, it's distrust of other people till I can really trust them. And a little bit of scanning of the environment. I don't think that sevens do that at all. You know, their fundamental essence is more, maybe more trusting or something. Well, sevens with six wings can have suspicious streaks, but they, they don't do it consistently. Often they're episodically suspicious or episodically paranoid, and they may not recognize that they're afraid because the defense of the seven style is to deny unpleasant feelings and fears among them. And so sevens with six wings sometimes can be evidently afraid from the outside but not know it themselves, or, or every once in a while then have just a, a tender defenseless moment where they age regress and they look scared and they say, you know, are you mad at me? You know, something with just where you're wide open, have no defenses at all. But it's different from scanning the environment as a policy, a general thing that you do that is central to your way of protecting yourself and assessing the reality around you, where you just approach it with bad faith, assume the worst, and then let, let the facts slowly disprove your assumptions. Hmm. My experience with the social six is that there's an outward identification with the seven with that happy gene, but there's also a lot of energy that goes into private, more remote, internal, uh, whether it's statistics or intellectual pursuits or the, the internet, there's always kind of a split and that there's kind of an introversion, extroversion, but it's hard to hold them at the same time. There's a real difference. Did you experience that? Uh, yes. Um, I'm definitely uh, thinking, you know, it's definitely, I'm very head-centered. And um, in this market research business, I love that go into the analysis and kind of get lost in it. Um, in Myers-Briggs, I'm sort of uh, in the middle between introverted, extroverted. And I have a lot of... Um, I'm not sure where I fit on that one, so it probably represents that duality. Kind of qualities, especially the social sex. Whether that's consistent or not, I don't know. It's just what's 
What is your experience of the vengeance? I'm not sure. Well, um, kind of not saying anything about my performance. Uh huh. And then. Getting you back in a passive aggressive yeah, way, sort of later? Yeah, you like months later, a year later. Well, you, you f forgot to fill out this form. Uh huh. Yeah. And it cost me, you know, additional work, weeks of work. Uh huh. And this is like months later. I mean, right, right. Months later. As if, you know, that's like dropping a bomb on me. You never told me this, and a year later, you know, you're spilling this out, and I cannot, re I cannot recover because I don't even remember the circumstances this happened. It was yeah. so trivial. This is what Carol would call being a victimizing victim, where the person took in some wound and maybe they, were, they had more of a five wing, for instance, they could do that thin-skinned thing I was talking about where they're brooding on an injustice to them and worrying about an insult that happened and then getting the person back in some petty, passive-aggressive, essentially cowardly way. I guess that's a judgment, but you could, it, it is a kind of, um, you know, way of being aggressive but not taking responsibility for it at the same time, trying to hide your own aggression. And so, that's one way to understand it. I don't know about how to prevent it exactly. You can ask the person for more information or don't breeze along so confidently that you've got every detail taken care of and maybe stop and get more feedback. Okay, well, this, um, this wasn't so bad. No, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Let's take a break and then we'll, we'll start on the seventh.